We are now two weeks now into our series on the Holy Spirit, and I am so excited for you guys to introduce to you the mighty, the man, the myth, the legend, Robert McKenzie or Uncle Bob. And uh, you know what I love about Bob is here's a guy, he, you know, he's our executive pastor. He's a dear friend of mine, um, a, burrito, a burrito connoisseur. And, uh, and actually, in many ways, has been a mentor for me over these last four years. I'm really grateful for this guy. Um, you know, one thing when we think about the topic of being filled with the Spirit is I think some of us maybe start to think, oh, that's for people of a certain temperament. That's for the artsy, go with the flow, you know, just super, just crazy extroverted people. But we got Bob McKenzie here today to show us that's not true. <laughs> Bob runs... Uh, he balances our budget. He, he <laughs> makes sure that our church finances are in order. He is head of our IT department. So the guy has got technical expertise. Um, he runs all the behind-the-scenes operational uh, aspects of our church. A very analytical, logical person, but yet just an incredibly spirit-filled man. And one of the things about Bob that has been such a blessing to me are the ways in which he's taught me to live in sync with the Holy Spirit in the midst of the everyday challenges uh, and responsibilities of being a pastor. So I, I really want you to know this guy has so much to give to us, and I'm really excited to introduce him to you and to have him share from the vast wealth of his own walk with the Spirit. Um, so this week we're going to be diving into being filled with the Spirit, and then next week what happens once we let the Spirit in? And we're going to learn how the Holy Spirit, once we let the Spirit in, He begins to transform us from the inside out. And I'll be back next week, and we're going to dive into that and continue our journey with the Spirit. So today, let's prepare our hearts to mm -hmm. receive this incredible teaching on being filled with the Spirit. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, mm -hmm. first, thank you for Bob, thank you. and thank you for his leadership in this church for decades. Thank you for his leadership and influence and blessing on my life. And Lord, we just receive your word today that God, this incredible truth that you want to fill us. And I pray for those in this room who don't yet know you, mm. that they would be touched and encouraged that God, you want to come and dwell within them and draw them into a radical personal relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wow. Wouldn't you want him to go before you and introduce you anywhere? I was going to, I'll talk to him later about my eulogy, but I think, he, I think he'd be great. So like Ryan said, I've um, been serving here as the executive pastor. I've been here over 30 years, for those of you who don't know me. For those of you... That means I just have dirt on people, probably. But for those of you who do know me, you probably don't recognize me without a hat on, but it is me. You usually see me out in the piazza. Quick 30-second bio of me. I grew up with a very um, intense science, math, IT kind of background. My dad worked for NASA, and I was born on the space base down in Alabama. So that's like the logical background that I was raised with. The other side is my grandmother was a witch, and my... Yeah, and my dad and my grandpa were into some really weird spiritual stuff, so, you know, basic normal childhood. <laughs> Went into consulting, mostly in the banking industry, and um, 
And finally, I guess I'm told by my wife that I have the diet and the entertainment preferences of a 12-year-old. So <laughs> there's no, no lie detected there. That's absolutely true. Okay. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's by far one of my favorite subjects to teach on and to explain and to get people to be experiencing. It's very, very powerful. It's also one of the more highly argued and debated topics about the Spirit, this baptism of the Spirit. So going into this, if you have any objections, corrections, any comments you want to send me, it's, the, the email is ryan at <laughs> North Coast Calvary Chapel. Speaking of Ryan, really quick, this is week two in the series. So if you missed week one, Ryan talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. I would definitely podcast it this week, watch the video on Vimeo. It would did an amazing, amazing job. If you would put up the first verse, we're going to read, starting off reading Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what the, Jesus told the disciples after his resurrection, but before Pentecost. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is what he told him was going to happen in about 10 days. He'd been with him for 40 days post-resurrection, 10 days later on Pentecost, Pentecost, 50 days. This is what he told him. Looking at, we're looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The goal this morning is twofold. One, we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus, how he ministered, and then we're going to look at the ministry of how the disciples ministered. And I want to show us how vital and important it was for Jesus and the disciples, and then we translate that into our life. Second of all, besides the importance, it's the accessibility of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So when we leave here, importance and the accessibility. Now, I mentioned it's one of the more highly argued and debated topics out there, and I get it. Because the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is so essential, of course it's attacked. In fact, if I was going to play, and this helps me sometimes figure things out, if I was going to play the enemy to your soul, and I couldn't stop you from getting saved, I couldn't stop you from finding out the saving grace of Jesus Christ, my next goal as an enemy of your soul would be to make you ineffectual. To make sure that your life really didn't press against the kingdom of darkness and really didn't usher in the kingdom of God. You're saved, I'm saved, but there's a work out there to keep us from actually being effectual. I'd put temptations in front of you. I'd put distractions in front of you to take you away from the mission of Christ. Now the thing is, when you're a born-again Christian, the deepest part of you, the eternal part of you, the part that's living forever with Christians in God it beats for the things of God. But I would put everything in front of you to hold you back. But I would really make sure that there was distance between you and the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to bring power and life and overcoming ability into our lives. So I would make sure that there was confusion. I'd make sure that there was doubt. I'd make sure that you did not pursue the Holy Spirit, but that you pulled back. But we're pulling back then from the life giver. We're pulling back from the one who helps us to overcome. So what we're going to first look at this morning is let's peel away some confusion. Uh, sometimes I call it, if you're going to plant like a good theological garden, 
let's pull a few theological weeds. There's five we're going to pull. First one here. And this is common. People go, I don't get it. I thought I had the Holy Spirit when I was saved. Ephesians 1.13 says, You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Yes, the minute we say yes to Jesus Christ, we get a born-again spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, and we are marked as God's possession. So 100%, when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit. Okay, second weed. Does this baptism of the Holy Spirit happen when I get saved? Because some people will say, it's, it's when you get saved, and then others would say, no, it's a second experience, and someone else will say, no, it's something else. Well, the truth is, all three can be true. Third weed to pull. Does this happen when someone lays hands on you and prays for you? Is that the only way it can happen? Or can it be a group experience when God just pours himself out upon a group and there's the filling of the Spirit? Or is it something else where it can just be God and I with my cup of coffee and my Bible early in the morning? Truth is, all three can be true. All three of those can be true. Fourth one, is this like getting a supernatural impersonal power? Is this like divine electricity? <laughs> and now it's the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just like the Father, and he's just like Jesus. In fact, in Acts, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. And in Matthew, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of your Father. Same nature. Now, I get it. A father figure we can relate to. So when you think about your father, your dad, your Abba in heaven, it's easier to relate to father. And Jesus is so described in the Gospels that you can kind of grab hold of Jesus and I can kind of understand him. I've watched The Chosen. I know what Jesus is like. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But the Holy Spirit, especially if you were raised with Holy Ghost, that's weird. Holy Spirit can be a little bit intangible, but here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the one who's with every believer, amen? If you've ever felt God's love, God's peace, God's joy, God's conviction, that's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God. It's not some divine electricity. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the one you already know. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I guarantee you he's knocking on your heart right now, or you wouldn't even be here this morning. He's the one who's pursuing you with God's love, opening your heart up to the gospel, giving you enough faith to believe in Jesus. It's the Spirit of God. Okay, fifth weed. I love this one. I'm not sure about the name baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people feel like it has some baptism to it. I love this. I don't care if you don't like baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pick one you want. Do you like promises being kept to you by your dad in heaven, promise of the Father? Do you like the image of being dunked and baptized with the Holy Spirit? Some of you just love power. The word power there in Acts, it's dunamis, dynamite. You want power? Pick that one. Uh, you like to be filled? You like gifts from God? You like it when the Holy Spirit, oh, pouring out of the Spirit. You like to picture yourself under a waterfall and God's just pouring out the Spirit of God upon you or receiving it. Which one do you like? But pick one of them. Grab one of those that just, just grabs it. It resonates in your soul and go, oh God, that's what I want. Now here's what's interesting. How many times 
the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit is described in Scripture by God. It must be important. So, number one, and that's this one, pick whatever one you want there. But you can see where I'm going with this. I don't want to get caught up on minors. Is it done this way? Is it done this way? Is it hands laid on? Is it a group experience? Is it a one time? It did happen when I was saved. I don't like that name. Those are minors. The major is we cannot live this Christian life without a daily and filling and presence and powering of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going right now. We're going to look at the importance now, and then we're going to look at the accessibility. We're going to start building our case here, first of all, with, in the topic of importance. We're going to look at how Jesus ministered when he walked this earth. He ministered, is it up here? There you go. Fully God and fully man, but he ministered primarily as a man empowered, led, and equipped by the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go into this in detail. You can look up the scriptures there in John and, and there's like a Colossians is there and Philippians. But scripture very clearly, second person in the Trinity, fully God. But fully man as he ministered here as a man empowered, led, and equipped by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's fun. Watch this logic with me. We know at least at 12 years old, Jesus knew who he was. His family had traveled down to Jerusalem. They left, not knowing they left him there. He's in the temple, and they come and find him, and he says in Luke chapter 2, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? At least 12 years old, Jesus knew who he was. Now think about that for a minute. There's a side thought for you. 18 years waiting until 30 years old, the age of a rabbi, before he started his ministry. That's a lot of thinking of illustrations, isn't it? 18 years. But think about this. He knew he was God, but he wasn't ready to minister. Fully God, but he's going to operate as a man, empowered, led, and equipped by the Holy Spirit. So not until we saw in Mark chapter 1, As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Acts 10.38, great summary verse, how God anointed, there's another phrase, if you didn't like the filled, received the gift, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Here's the key to Jesus. Even though he knew he was God Almighty, fully God, fully man, but he set aside omniscience. He set aside all power. He set aside um, being everywhere at one time. He set aside those things to minister as a man. He didn't do, here's the point, what he did as a second person of the Trinity powers. If he did, how could we follow him, right? He did it as a man in power. Otherwise, why did he pray? You ever think of that? If he's operating as second person of the Trinity, God Why is he praying? He knows. Or was he fake praying? I'm going to kneel over here. They're watching me. (laughs) No. And think about the woman in Mark 5. He's walking through the crowd, and the woman says, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. She touches him, and healing power flows out of him, it says, and she was healed. And he turns around, he's like, who touched me? And the disciples, Jesus, you're being bumped by everybody. Everybody's touching you. No, no, no. He goes, somebody touched me and power came out of me. Was he playing? No, he didn't know. 
fully God, but he set aside powers to operate as a man, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. That's primarily how you see Jesus minister. The baptism, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, I think there's glimpses where you see the second person in the Trinity powers pop out. Remember the garden? When they're looking for Jesus, who's Jesus? And he says, I am. I am is interesting. To me, it feels like a derivative of the name of Yahweh, Jehovah. I am that I am. And it's almost like the Superman thing coming open. They said, who is it? He goes, I am. And if you've read the passage, it says everybody that came to arrest him got knocked over and fell over by the power of the name. See, I think that was a little the second person of the Trinity. And then Peter cuts off Malchus' servant's ear and Jesus grabs it and sticks it back on his head and heals him. Here's a side note, just a side note off study, on the power of our free will. Wouldn't you think if you and I were guards that night and you show up and a guy goes, I am, and you get tossed on your back and then he picks up an ear and heals somebody, don't at some point you go like, it's a bad idea. (laughs) But the power of our free will to say no to God when we know better. We've got to be careful there. Back to our point. If Jesus did these things as the second person in the Trinity, we have no chance of following him. But if he did it in a way that we can follow, this is where it gets fun. Every Christian, millions around the world, thousands in this church alone, we can do what Jesus did. Did you catch that? If he did it, empowered and led and equipped by, as a man and by the Holy Spirit, we can follow that. We can do the same ministry. And this is where it gets fun. In John 14, 12, Jesus was in the upper room before going to the cross, and he was talking to the disciples about, I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I struggled with that for years. Greater things, greater than raising the dead, healing lepers and and cripples and sticking ears back on people. And I realized one day, it's not really qualitative. It's quantitative. There's so many of us out there to go out in the power of Jesus. That's the key to that verse. He goes, I'm going to heaven. The Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to fill all of you and baptize you with power. You guys are going to do greater things because there's more of you to go around. That's where someone says amen. 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 That's the power of what we're looking at here. That's the plan of God, and there's no plan B. That's the plan of God. You've heard Ryan say sometimes the phrase, a little from a lot goes a long way. And we've talked about that application when it comes to giving. But also in prayer, we've talked about it. And in one of his videos, we were sharing, if we prayed during the week, everyone in this church, check this out, one minute. If we each just prayed one minute, Lord, bless Ryan this week. Keep the enemy off his back while he's studying. Give him the word of God that you want him to present. Well, wow, he gets blessed and we get a better message anyways, right? But... (laughs) But one minute from each of us, that's over 24 hours of dedicated prayer towards the message. That's the power of all of us. That's the greater things. That's a little from a lot goes a long way. So concluding the first point with Jesus, just the logic of it. New at 12 years old, 
18 years waited until he was 30, age of a rabbi, but more importantly, until the Holy Spirit anointed him. That's the way he did it. That's our first example. Now, he's not the only one. Now let's look at the disciples, how the disciples were ready to be made to go out. Think about this. They were with, does it say it up here? They were with Jesus for three years, hearing the teachings, seeing the miracles, even going out with Jesus' authority and doing the miracles, casting out demons, doing all this stuff. They still weren't ready. Now, wouldn't most of us be honest? You're an apprenticeship for three years, and you're not allowed to do it yet? We're kind of like, hey, boss, you're micromanaging, right? They were not ready. Been three years, all the thing, not ready. John 20 is interesting here. This is after the resurrection. Jesus pops into the room. That's why he always says, peace be with you, because it's kind of weird when someone pops into a room, right? John 20 says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after that, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has said, I'm sorry, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they've been with him for three years. They've seen it all. They've even practiced it. And now, here's that Ephesians 1.13. They've seen the resurrected Lord. They're born again. He says to them, he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. They now have the Holy Spirit residing in them. Still not ready, though. In the same room, same night, upper room, Luke now carries the story, and he tells us in Luke 24, 29, Jesus keeps going and says, but don't go anywhere yet. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So even though they had the three years, and even though breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit, he still tells them in the room that night, don't go anywhere, you're not ready yet. Now, we know from Acts 1, for 40 days after the resurrection, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus kept teaching them. You think anybody slept in late for that one? 40 days you get a Bible study from the resurrected Lord? Now, logically put this together. With him for three years, received the Holy Spirit, and now 40 days of resurrected Lord Bible school Lord, are we ready? Not yet. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He speaks to them a few days before Pentecost and says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father's promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 1, 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So now, 40 days is over, he leaves, they wait 10 days for the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, like this 747 noise just filled the room from heaven. 
where they were sitting, and they seemed to be a tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So in this upper room on Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we have an image here. This is where they think the upper room was. Uh, obviously, it's been destroyed and restored over the years. This is kind of like the Gothic version of it. Um, they were in this room on Pentecost in the morning. And then next image, here's just an image of what it might look like. I didn't have a lot of time to draw this, but <laughs> I kind of like it. I like the Holy Spirit coming down and filling everybody. And the next image. So they're in the upper room. It's at the time of prayer, and they would routinely go to the temple at the time of prayer, 9 a.m. So they spill out of the upper room, and they're making their way to the south side of the temple. And there was a noise, and then they're all speaking in other languages they don't know. And there's God-fearing Jews at that time of the festival in Jerusalem. And they heard this, and it said, they were, they were now staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken. They were amazed. It's like, what's happening? And one of them was like, or a few of them, ah, they're just drunk. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's usually my, uh, my experience of drunks. They eloquently speak the wonders of God. <laughs> In other languages, they don't know. Yeah. That's what I remember from college. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> And, and it just, and this crowd gathers, this, this, this crowd, it just gathers. And now you got to remember Peter. Peter, unschooled, ordinary Peter. Three years apprenticeship, filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, 40 days of resurre resurrected Lord Bible school. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he comes down, do you have a picture of the temple? He comes down to these steps. And in the middle, you see the steps on the side. In the middle, those are baptismal pools. He has this crowd. And Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, starts quoting from the Old Testament, and he's preaching, and over 3,000, and they probably only counted men. Thousands and thousands of people got saved. And you see it. It was important. Jesus did minister without it. And he held back the disciples until that day. And then you see what happened in Peter's life. But just not on Pentecost. A few days later, down the road, Peter and John are walking into the temple and they see a cripple there and they heal the cripple. They get arrested. Spend the night in jail. The next day, they come before the entire rulers, religious leaders of Jerusalem. And they say, why did you do this, and in whose name did you do this? And so Peter gets up, and in Acts 4.8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers and elders of the people, and he starts to preach again, and he starts to give this sermon. And it's amazing, so much so that they looked at each other, the elders and rulers, and they went, he's an ordinary, unschooled person. And then they realized, oh, he's been with Jesus. He's <laughs> acting a lot like Jesus. Why is he acting a lot like Jesus? Did you see? You could take out the... Then Peter, take out the comma, take out the comma, could have said, said to them rulers and elders of the people. But no, 
We can miss that. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I thought he was filled on Pentecost. So if I'm like, wait, it's a second experience. He was saved in the upper room. He saw Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. 50 days later, he got baptized in the Spirit. Well, a few days later, he's getting filled again. What's going on? Then it gets even crazier. They get let go. Peter and John go back to the house where all the believers are. They tell them the story of what happened to them. And they're like, we're facing great oppression, great opposition to the gospel. But they didn't say, let's run and hide, circle the wagons, we're going to back off. They go, no, Lord, Lord, would you give us more, more boldness, more courage, more signs, more wonder. Let's go forward, God. And in Acts 4.31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Did you catch that? Peter got filled on Pentecost. Then he got filled when he was before the elders, right? And then just a little while longer, when he went to the house, he got filled again. Do you see where the miners break down now? It's, I got filled when I was saved. And someone else, no, I got saved and it was a second experience. You see how that all breaks down? That's fine. However that happened, God bless you. But what's more important is the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. They were facing opposition at that time and they said, Lord, we need more. We need fill us afresh. Are we facing opposition to the Christian faith right now? Yes. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever. Pray over your kids, lay hands on them, fill them with the Spirit daily. Takes us to Ephesians 5.18. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to read this just because it's easier. The Greek verb translated as be filled is a present passive imperative. So it means it's ongoing, it's done to us by God, and it's a command to have it happen. One said, keep allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit. So I don't want to debate on when, when, when. I just want to say, no, we just need to be, we see how important it is. We saw that's how Jesus ministered. He took his disciples, three years apprenticeship filled with the Spirit, Bible school with Jesus, Pentecost, and still when they came to times of ministry, you see fresh fillings of the Spirit. So do we all got the importance? Amen? That's the, if so if Jesus wasn't ready to go out without it, we're not either. Now, I want to diverge really quick on my personal testimony example with the filling of the Holy Spirit because it's a really, really good example of just what not to do. <laughs> I was at Bible school, and they were praying everybody for the filling of the Spirit, and everybody was getting prayed for, and I would say they were really in, I would say, great positions of openness to God. They were like, some hands up, some sitting down, some standing, but open to what God had for them. It came my turn, and to be honest, I kind of freaked and I was like, and I sat and I kind of hunched over and I kind of closed up and, you know, that wasn't what everybody else did. They were just, it was interesting. They were just flowing with the spirit and some were actually speaking in tongues and there was no way I was. My mouth was so tightly closed as I was kneeling there. <laughs> Nothing was going to happen. 
And they prayed over me, and to be honest, absolutely nothing seemed to happen when I was prayed for. And I've realized in our goofiness, um, God's still faithful. Anyone testify to that one? <laughs> so I remember I went home, and I was like, hmm, pretty bummed. And uh, I woke up the next morning and got my Bible, and I was doing my morning devotion, and it was interesting. I felt like there was a, a, a new lens given to me to look at Scripture of, oh, that's interesting, and that passage would tie to this, and maybe it could be taught like this. And it's like, this is fun. It's, it, it's still fun. I love reading the Bible and teaching. Um, but I was a little bummed still, and I was like, God. So do you ever do those ultimatums with God? So I go, out, I go out to the woods, we were up in the mountains, and I sit under a tree, and I was like, okay, God, I am not getting up until I speak in tongues. <laughs> not doing it. Hour and a half later, I am cold, and I'm sore, and I'm cranky, and I'm frustrated, and I'm like, I'm whining. I'm like, why, God? Everybody else. And pretty clearly heard God just, you know, Bob, you just want the gift for selfish reasons. You know those times when God busts you on something and we try to play it off like he's wrong, right? <laughs> I remember one time I was praying and I, I clearly heard God says, like, Bob, you got to be, quit being so sarcastic with people. And I was like, without even thinking, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> so I sat there in a little bit and I was like, okay, God, you're right, you're right, selfish reasons. And I was like, you know what, Lord, but if it, if it does, if it does help me pray for people, and if it does help you pray for your kingdom, I would like that. And then God enabled, and I was suddenly speaking in tongues, and I was like, this is amazing. Thank you, Lord. He enabled the gift. And um, I bring it up because it's not the only way to stay full of the Spirit, but Paul says Praying in tongues does edify you. The word means builds you up on the inside, builds your spirit up on the inside. And Paul says he even prays in tongues more than anybody. Um, I don't know if you have this experience. In my morning time devotion, I realized that the first 15, 20 minutes was pretty weak. Caffeine hadn't kicked in. I'm still kind of sleepy. I'm staring at the Bible. And I'm like, didn't I just read that a second? I don't know. Anybody testify of that? I realized years ago, that was dead time. My brain was dead. But I also realized that my prayer language, speaking in tongues, does not come from your brain. It comes from your spirit. So I'd just take my cup of coffee, and I'd go for a walk, and I'd just pray in our neighborhood. I'd walk around for 15, 20 minutes, pray in my prayer language. Not super loud, just kind of soft. <laughs> don't, don't want to be the crazy neighbor guy, right? But but what I found is by the time I sat back down, it had filled me up. It was one of those ways of, of kind of priming the pump. And so if God has blessed you that way, for me, it really helped in the morning in my prayer time. But there's different ways. I mean, when you want to be filled afresh with the Spirit, we're going to talk about something in just a minute, but there's praying in spirit does it, soaking in the word, just basking quietly in God's presence, worship music helps. There's just a lot of things. You're, you're calming yourself and realizing, God, I just need your power in my life right now. So I'm going to have the worship band come out, and we're going to talk about just how we can be filled daily with the spirit. But very clearly from Jesus' example, it's 
absolutely imperative. Absolutely. And with the disciples, absolutely imperative. And then if you look at Ephesians 5, it's actually a command. We're to be filled daily. And it's more fun because that's when that Jesus says that greater things. That's when it happens. We're all going out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at really quickly how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think the list is up here. Number one, eagerly desire. Don't be like me. Don't shut it down. Be open with God. God, just, God, you're the God I know. I want more of your power in my life. Repent, yield, surrender. If there's garbage, if there's unconfessed sin, just get it out of the way. It just hinders. It shouldn't be there. It should just be gone. But you just, you yield to God and say, God, I just want more of you. I put in receive it as a gift because it's not an earned and it's not a performed. It's a gift. And maybe I didn't have a good week, <laughs> right? But God's faithful to forgive and forget. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you're faithful to confess, he'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all righteousness. Just get it out of the way. Yield to God. Be in a receiving posture. Be open to whatever God has for you to do. Be open to spiritual gifts in your life. If you have a compulsion to speak for us and, and God gives you a prayer language, don't be like me. Don't, don't curtail it. Don't sit under a tree for hours. Just, just give in to it. Expect God to fill you. He's a loving father. And here's the big part. Just be ready for service because he's going to fill you with a boldness. He's going to fill you with a courage. He's going to fill you with a heart for the lost. He's going to fill you with spiritual gifts. He's going to give you gifts to give away for other people. Now, real quickly on that one, you will find there's certain gifts that you'll operate in more than others. But here's the beauty of it. The gifted one lives in you. Do you ever think of it that way? It's much more about availability than ability. But Bob, I have ability in these gifts. That's fine. But the circumstance you're in may call for a different gift. Remember, you have the gifted one living in you. Just be open. Be available. God could do anything from through you right there, the greater works of God. So thank him, thank him. So we're going to worship right now, if you would. I'd like you to stand. Use this worship song as a time just to be open to God. If there's things that need to be confessed, get them out of the way. Just to be open for God. God, I realize the importance of this. And, and after this worship song, I'm going to pray for all of us. And then if you'd like more prayer, you can definitely come up front here and get some prayer after service. But I also, and this is the biggest thing, I want you to know any situation and circumstance you're in, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've done that quick prayer. I'm in a conversation and I'm just like, oh God, I have the vertical conversation going the same time the horizontal one's going. And I'm like, oh God, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me. I have no clue what to say. So we can pray now, we can pray up here, but the biggest thing is the accessibility. Anytime we can pray, God, fill me, fill me in this situation. You wake up in the morning for your devotion. God, fill me today with your power. Fill me today. Give me opportunities, Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. How I live for the moment Where I'm still in your presence Where all the noise dies down
Lord, speak to me now. You have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, I know my heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new, so I surrender all. And all I want is to live within your love, to be undone by who you are. My desire is to know.
Thank you, Lord. Lord, your word says that you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. We thank you, Lord, that you're here. And Lord, I'd like to pray. Pray for our church right now, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome you. We thank you for loving us so much. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your power upon your people, Lord. As you shook the building and acts, Lord, shake our lives, Lord. Fill us afresh right now, Lord, with your power, Lord. Fill us afresh right now with unlock gifts, Lord. Unlock gifts that you'd have us use for your glory, Lord. Lord, I pray, give us your boldness. Give us courage. Lord, where there's opposition that we're facing, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us insight. I pray, Holy Spirit, more. More of your power right now, Lord. Lord, if there's garbage that's been in our lives that needs to get out of the way, Lord, as we confess, like a waterfall flowing in, Lord, flow into our lives, Lord. Baptize us in the Spirit, Lord, right now and just wipe away any of that garbage in Jesus' name. Let bondages be broken right now, Lord. I pray for healing as you touch. Lord, let healing hit. We just pray, Lord, we desperately need your touch, your power, your filling in our lives, Lord. We say yes to us, yes to you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And, and in all this, Lord, we thank you and we receive it, Lord. We receive it as a gift. We receive it from our loving Father in heaven, Lord. The promise, the promise, Lord. We receive and we accept your promise of the Holy Spirit, that power right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you'd like prayer, please come up. All right, have a blessed day.